Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. This is the final episode of series one of Shrapnel uh, and it, I just want to thank Sam and Gareth for trusting the Tortoise Shack with these conversations and stories and we look forward to season two in 2023. We are already working on uh, the guest list and the themes so the lads are, are playing a blinder. Thanks to everybody who's listened, supported, con- contributed. If you like what we do, if you think it's worthwhile supporting, it's patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. Please join us in 2023 and help keep the mics on and conversations like these going. And lots of other conversations. You get a ton of additional content, including our uh, wrap of 2022 across the Tortoise Shack and review on hopes for 2023. You'll hear from a lot of uh, familiar voices uh, from across the Tortoise Shack and the wider uh, Irish society. So uh, some great stuff there. Also, my conversation with David Gillick is out right now on the Patreon feed. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so grab that now if you can. And finally, of course, we want you to join us. I'd love more people to come on board. There are thousands listening, but we need more people to support us. But if you're not in a position, maybe just share. Let people know about us. Tell them where to find us. It's all in one place on the tortoiseshack.ie or you can get us on your podcast app. But every like, share, referral, it all helps people find us. Uh, Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. And I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Shrapnel Podcast. I'm your co-host Sam McLuhan and as always I'm joined by my good buddy, friend, wingman, Gareth Mulvana. How are you doing today, Gareth? Not too bad, Sam. Um, you're the co-host and I'm uh, the host then tonight. Well, well, I was going with co and co um, yeah. of, of level food. Now, I don't think a hierarchy works in this this scenario, no, to be honest. absolutely not. No, no, no surfs here. We're, yeah. we're all the same standard. <laughs> We're, we're all just cohabiting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We are. We're co- <laughs> cohabiting in the podcast sphere. That's what we're doing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Just to let our, let our listeners know what, what we're actually doing tonight, we, we did try and get a few guests lined up, but because of, well, ill health, the weather, uh, fairy dust and Santa Claus, we're, we're, we're falling behind with guests at this time of year. And we'll just have to realise that people have commitments and families and it's a tough time. Uh, and I don't yeah. think us pushing for, for something to come on is the best way forward. So what what we have decided to do is a recap on what we've covered in this series and then maybe give you a taster of what's coming up in the next series. Um, We're going to take a bit of time off between the two, uh, regather, refocus and and go again. That sound about right to you, Gareth? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty intense for the first couple of months. I think we did a lot of hard work a lot of good episodes out and then as you say sort of factors came together and made life difficult over the last four four weeks maybe um but that's that's human nature um things happen and you know we've got busy lives and other different struggles and we had a couple of guests lined up but they'll definitely roll on into season two yeah so um but but yeah i mean i i think looking back you know we started this in august so it's four months now, really, and the feedback so far has been really good, really good. Yeah. I mean, there have been no major faux pas. We've, we've had a couple of teething errors. We've had sound quality issue in one podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's, but it's been a learning curve, and it, 
but I but I like to think that we're not the only ones learning from this. Uh, from the feedback we're getting, there, there's plenty out there who have learned a bit with us um, of, of what we are, where we're from and what we're trying to do. But I think more than that, that they've learned from our guests. I mean, there's been some serious, serious differences of where these guys are coming from and what they're 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 coming to talk to us about. I mean, if you look at our first our first episode, um, our first guest, sorry, because well, the first episode was just just us shooting the breeze uh, with yeah. Tony. Um, we had Robbie Butler on, the deputy leader of the Ulster Unionist Party. Um, that that was a great conversation to break it off with because we we got into identity with Robbie. Um. How he seen himself, how we seen ourselves, and it it was a good, it was a good foundation to talk about that because identity politics in Northern Ireland is the only politics in Northern Ireland really, mm-hmm. and it was good to kick off with with that subject of identity. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know I think we intended it to be. A podcast initially when we were having the conversations about about doing a podcast we were thinking about loyalism but you quickly learn that well we knew this already that loyalism isn't just one thing it's many things to, to many people and i think robbie probably demonstrated that very very um very well because he talked about his own struggles with um defining himself as a loyalist about you know how he he feels that he is a loyalist, but he he finds it difficult to, to talk about that publicly, to to define himself that way in the public sphere. Uh, and I think you know it, it really resonated with a lot of the conversations I've had with people who are loyalists, but feel that they can't admit that in day to day life because of the stigma of the term loyalist and the association that probably the media have put on it. Um, I think when people think of loyalism, the general feeling is that it's a underclass, uh, criminal class, um, you know, sort of all the negative connotations, but you're a loyalist, Sam. You're, you're none of those things that I've just mentioned. I've studied loyalism for, for a long number of years now. And the one thing that I've realized is that you know, loyalism is a sort of ambience. You know, it's 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 not a definitive allegiance. It's it's a way people sort of feel about where they live, the community, the loyalty to the community. It's not all about you know. It's not. I mean, okay, people use loyalism to the for criminal enterprise, but in my opinion, they're not loyalists. The same way people who are Republicans or who would define themselves as Republicans and then would involve themselves in criminality aren't, aren't Republicans because there's nothing political about criminality um, in, in that sense. So it, it's interesting because Robbie's discussion really opened up that idea of, of what is loyalism, why why do people feel that they can't confidently identify as a loyalist, but you, you've shown, I think particularly with the episode in Ballymun a few weeks ago, that yeah, you can go down to Dublin and identify as loyalists, talk about your loyalism and articulate what that means. Yeah, I, th- I think I think we need to reclaim the title loyalism back for, for those of us that are it and have a bit have a bit of sort of guidance of where that is. I mean we, we let the media tell us what it is and then we, we go off and we, we worry about how people are going to perceive us. And as I said before, it's taken me a while to get 
to get to this level of confidence in myself and in my loyalism to do that. And so I wouldn't expect everybody to, to do it and want to do it. And I also don't expect everybody from the Shankle or from Sandy Roar, from Talk Mona, to identify as, as loyalist either. And, and, and Robbie sort of described that better than any. His identity was his. And he, he can he can identify any way he wants. And that's that's the way it should be. Um and then we took episode episode two with a guest, um, and we really turned it on its head. Thanks to yeah. a very brave conversation with Paul Wilson, uh, the son of the late Paddy Wilson. I mean, he he came from an entirely different angle than we thought we were ever going to talk about about mm-hmm. loyalism. We did we did say that we would talk to people affected by loyalism, but that's this was a level of a of being affected by loyalism that I didn't think we would get into. And I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, that conversation moved me. Yeah. It, it did. It, it, it was, it was genuine. It was heartbreaking. It was harrowing. And it was, it was enlightening too. Um, because Paul, Paul showed compassion. Mm-hmm. When, when maybe you could understand if he didn't, um, mm-hmm. Paul sat and spoke to me and I was a loyalist and he was, he, his life was, his life was torn apart by loyalism, but he he knew the difference uh, between those those who did that and, and and people like myself. Thankfully, and he was willing to come on and share his story. Um, it was dark in places; it was really dark. Um, mm-hmm. But what a brave conversation to have! What a brave brave man! Yeah, I mean, I think the murder of Paddy Wilson and Aaron Andrews for me, there's. You know, all lives lost in the troubles were, um, you know, a completely egregious waste of so many opportunities for people to have full and fulfilling lives. But there's some murders that sort of are burned into your brain. And for me, uh, murder of Paddy Wilson and Aaron Andrews had always been something, you know, really stuck with me. And I think it goes back to 1999 when I was watching the Peter Taylor documentary Loyalists, which was a formative um, piece of work for me and in terms of understanding loyalism better and, and you know, hearing a lot of the uncomfortable truths about people's motivations for getting involved in paramilitary organisations, about the blunt sectarianism that people felt at the time, which which was very different to the Provost documentary that he'd, he'd done where people generally seem to be speaking more from a party line about the struggle and, and these sort of grand ideas of revolution and that type of thing. And Paul was one of the first people to speak on camera in that documentary. And it was about, you know, his father being murdered by, by John White. And I mean, if you look at that 1971, 72, 73 period, you could take your pick of the absolutely heinous, murders that occurred but yeah I mean it, it, it made me I mean I, I talked to Paul quite a bit before we actually did did that episode and it came at a time for me after the book with Billy was published so shortly after the Christmas of 2020 and you know, I'd done Tartan Gangs at that stage I'd done the book with Billy and People maybe had formed an impression that I was sort of penning the history of militant loyalism from one perspective. As, as a fanboy, as you were described? As a fanboy, yeah, and all that yeah. sort of ru- uh, rubbish, you know, yep. 
yeah, and it's it sort of it, it annoyed me because as I've, as I've just said, the murder of Patty Wilson and Arian Andrews is one of many that, that stuck with me for, for years. Um, uh, you know, and and my motivation for trying to understand loyalism and and paramilitary loyalism was to try and understand why people would have wanted to kill somebody like me or my dad or whatever. And that was always a hypothetical thing. So I was always interested in, in, in the voice of victims. So for me, talking to Paul was a very humbling experience, even in those early conversations where he told me, I remember the first time I talked to him on the phone, it was on for about two or three hours, and he talked through his whole life experience those early days, much of what he talked about in the podcast. And to be honest, it set me off in a, in a completely different path in terms of my writing, where I did want to understand more about victims and, and the experiences of victims and survivors. And it came at a time where, through work, I did some trauma training with the Way of Trauma Centre. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I think that maybe was a curveball at the, at the early stage of Shrapnel. The people, because I'd say people would have looked at you and me, had their knives sharpened, and thought, right, okay, these guys are just going to be apologists for loyalism. And immediately we were able to de- debunk that. Not not you in any way using Paul for that purpose, but to show that we were eager to have those conversations with people who had been heavily traumatised. And my lasting feeling is, I always put myself in Paul's shoes and think, because we're from the same part of town, um, we're from the same religious background, and I always think to myself, would I be of the same mind as Paul? Would I have been able to not forgive... I don't think he's forgiven, really, but, you know, tried to rationalise it in a way that he can't have these conversations, and the stronger part of me thinks no, which then made me question my whole raison d'etre for the research that I do, because it made me think even more deeply about the other side of of the stories that I've written about, the people who are left behind. So it it was a real eye-opener for me, and and the episode with Paul was a culmination of those those, um, inner thoughts that I was having. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, definitely sort of made me reflective as well of, of where, of where I had come from and, and how the conflict. I mean, and, and that's it. I had seen it. If you want to look at it on my side of the wall, so many times victims and and atrocities, but it was never one side. It wasn't this country. This country had suffering all around us. And and after speaking to Paul, we we then spoke to Sarah Crichton. Um, Yep. a writer and political commentator and we sort of then got a bit more back to brass tacks in the fact that we started talking about um, the working class, the hardships that we were facing the things that were coming in and the things that people have already been through with, with COVID and the lockdowns and, and people nearly losing their homes and at that point we were just sort of, we were into this cost of living crisis but we hadn't entered winter yet Yeah, and I think I think it's got even sharper now. Um, we we are starting to see, and and I mean, we're not going to sit here and swing for one party or the other, or what they should be doing, or, or what they shouldn't be doing. But we are here to reflect people's thoughts. and And Paul came on and spoke to us, and Sarah came on then afterwards and spoke to us. And what we're here for, as you said rightly earlier on, we're a conduit for people to come on and speak. Yeah. So we'll speak yeah. about all subjects. So Sarah's contribution was was definitely one of those ones where we we got into the nuts and bolts of how 
how the community in a more up-to-date sort of perspective was was coping um, and it, it it didn't inspire me to have to say <laughs> not nothing to do with Sarah uh, no. but it, it was more it, it was more that yeah to, to hear it laid out like that we, we knew where we were going and we knew we were facing a hard winter now now we're in the jaws of it and we are definitely feeling it now aren't we yeah absolutely and I mean I think even the class dynamics that Sarah talked about and, and the class dynamics yeah. within unionism tied in you know the historical class divisions I think they're still nakedly evident at the moment and that's not what you need during a cost of living crisis you need people coming together looking out for and I mean Newton Emerson did write something really interesting in, in the paper I think it was the Irish News yesterday or the day before Kira Fitzpatrick had retweeted and it was about that idea of how the middle class in Northern Ireland have always managed to seal themselves from the crises that go on in, in society, whether it be the troubles or the cost of living crisis. And, you know, now it's sort of, there's always a way of dealing with these things so that they don't have to engage with them. And uh, during the troubles, it was, you know, sort of, well, we don't live in that area or we can move out to the, you know, the sort of, you know, Hollywood or whatever it was, you know, like the John Hewitt poem, the coasters. And now, you have that same sort of psychosis, really, where people are, you know, well, it is terrible, but it's not really affecting me. So, yeah. you know, but, and I think within unionism, and Sarah touched on that, there's always been that stark class division, which, you know, it it it, it, it becomes very stark in a crisis like this, where political representation maybe doesn't tally up with what people on the ground actually need. Um, yeah, I mean, so I think, but I think that's a failure of politics generally. It's not not specifically unionism at the moment, but contemporary politics isn't working. I mean, and and, and in real life terms, I mean, my mum's uh, getting on in years, but her her neighbour is very helpful. He brings in the bins and stuff, and he's not a spring chicken either. Um, and she hadn't seen him for a couple of days, so she was getting a bit worried and sort of pulled my brother and says, "Like you've got his number, would you give him a call and just make sure he's all right?" So my brother tried for a day or two and then finally the gentleman answered and said he was fine. Um, and he called in to see my mum just to reassure that he was fine. And basically what he had said was it was too cold so it wasn't going out, Yeah, which is fine. Um, my mum said, so what are you doing about food? Oh, there's things in the larder. Right, okay, what have you got? And he read through the list and it was quite... Um, despair is not the word, but you know... It, <sighs> We, we we then put him in trust uh, in in touch with the Trussell Trust because you know, he just had nothing. He was living off rations. I mean, the celebrities yeah. in the jungle were talking about living off rice and beans. This guy wasn't far off it. Yeah. Um, and he was totally unaware of any help that was, that it was available to him. Um, so he's now he's now got people from a local church calling to see him. There's there's meals on wheels starting to come round for him, but he he was so isolated he didn't know who to reach out to to even say. I'm all right. Don't be worrying about me. He just no contact with the world. He just didn't go out, and it was too yeah. cold. How many other people are sitting in that situation where they where they're just too cold to go out? Now I was in his house. Um, his house is cold because his heating's done on. Um, yeah. but it's a bit warmer than it was outside because he wasn't exposed to the wind. But that gentleman was living like that. We we have to do more for people like that, and I think that's what Sarah was touching on. So that was a working class area. Had it just been yeah. 
people people are just forgotten about, and that that is it. They're, they're disposable, and that's that's the way it is with that, unfortunately. Um, yeah, yeah. We need it's, to we need to do better. It's really bad, you know. I mean, I'm thinking, and I have to say this when we're talking about this issue, but there's a place local to me here. Um, just make sure I get the facts right before I um, talk about it on on the pod, but. There is a shop, a, a cafe down the road from where I live called Use Your Loaf. It's a pound and a penny bakery, um, and it's on the Antrim Road. And today, um, well, this morning actually, they, well, the other day they left out free Christmas trees for people to take. And today they put £400 um, behind the counter of the day today in North Queen Street for people to put £5 on their gas and electric. Now, i just like to say, I, could, I don't know how far that message will get out there, but I'd like to you know, go on the record here and say that's an amazing gesture. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's the same it's as a, the boys' model school. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they're going to get free dinners to every pupil to help, yeah. to help with the cost of living. Well, and this is all brilliant. But yeah, why but it the shouldn't heck be, are we yeah. having to do this? I mean, yeah, why why I is a school having to feed kids for free just to get crazy. through... Yeah. yeah, why we why are families not do not have the means to feed their own kids? And it's not that they don't have the means because they're wasted on other things. They can't just no. turn off the Netflix and go for it. Yeah. It's it this is this is endemic and people we really need I mean if we look at the strikes here of all sorts going on, how long before the country finally just collapses? We're we're on the yeah. cusp. We really are on the cusp of this. Yeah. But that but but the point this was I'm trying to make there it is a double-edged sword for me because I think what what the guys down the road there did by by donating that £400 or putting that £400 back into the community shows, you know, sometimes you look at the COVID and we all thought COVID might readjust people's sort of temperaments and make people kinder. It actually made people into dickheads. I think people have become very selfish um, and, and badly behaved since COVID restrictions were lifted. But that that the main demonstration. Yeah, I think at the beginning of yeah. COVID, you were right. But we did get a bit kinder, yeah. we got a bit calmer, we yeah. got a bit. We, we were in this together. Yeah, but then that disintegrated. The, I think after a while. But 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 this this to me does show that there is. Human beings are, you know, we're we're good at, at looking after each other when when the when the, you know when the when crisis comes along. But as you say. It's important to mitigate that by by saying they shouldn't have to do that because yeah. the government should be providing a safeguard for people and ensuring that poverty doesn't exist in 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 the whatever eighth richest economy in the Western world. It's 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 crazy that that, that these enterprises have to, to to be happening because you know. But sometimes you wonder: is that the way Westminster wants us to live? You know, we're yeah. you're sort of scavenging for, for, and it, it is it is crazy. And I mean, I have to say a wee bit about the the spotlight program the other night about um, loan sharks and paramilitaries, and with with a large focus on on loyalism. I have to say, with one, you know, shot of a, a mural in Ardoin, um, to sort of hap, tip the hat to the possibility that this could happen in Republican areas. And I I think there's been a lot of debate about that program. But I was talking to somebody today. It's it's loan sharking isn't a new thing, and 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 the extortionate interest on loan sharking isn't a new thing. It 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 it, 
it happened before paramilitaries and it'll it'll happen long after paramilitaries go and it'll happen across the world it, it's a it's as old as the bible as well you know so what what we should be focusing on here because i heard a lot of mention about <clears throat> you know how money's being put into tackling paramilitarism um and and also hmr the thing that jumped out at me was hmrc are involved in this right in terms of trying to sort of educate people and divert funding and this that, and the other hmrc in my opinion are um one of the main reasons why people end up in poverty because people are given um welfare not benefits by the way i don't think benefits isn't the term it's welfare to look after people right and then hmrc and i've had experience of this by the way that's why i'm, I'm able to talk about it um, we we had working tax credits a number of years ago when when I was out of work and Paula was below a certain threshold, and once I got a job, <coughs> I stated we 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 declared that and wanted to finish with the tax credits, and for the last eight years, HMRC have been chasing us for this money, which not, we're now paying back, but we are almost certain we didn't get that money we've gone through our bank statements we've presented the evidence and that's myself and paula partner two educated people so what's it like for people on the margins who who do find themselves in these situations where you know you're being given welfare and i'm not talking about the people who make lifestyle out of this i'm talking about people who, who are using welfare to get by during cost of living crisis and, and during times of of need and then they're being chased by the government and then that facilitates loan sharks. So, in a way, it's it's like, to me, the only way, it's like complaining about something that the police have done, right? Do a corrupt police force. So it's like a, it's a, and that's one analogy I could use, it's like a hamster wheel, basically. There's no way out of it for people because the government have got good intentions. HMRC, Westminster, have got good intentions about, you know, sort of fixing these things. But they're facilitating the problem by penalising people, by putting sanctions on people, with the Department of Work and Pensions, all yeah, these sort of, but, you know... But they'll chase you for a couple of hundred quid. How yeah. many people are evading tax at this moment? You know, how many corporations well, are, well, are dodging the bullets? Well, um, exactly. Uh, yeah, so how, how many Gareth Mulvenas do they need to put through the mill before they reach one of those companies? You know, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. The, the, the scales are are, <laughs> are not balanced in favour of us, mate. They're really and not. By, by, um, by, by the way, I'd just like to reiterate for anyone who's in any doubt here. I mean, I think, you know, a paramilitary, in my opinion, paramilitary shouldn't exist in 2022. There's no need for them. So any, and, and, and the other thing I would say is anyone who's using, like, loyalism, republicanism, whatever, political ideology, to sort of, um, get on the back of working people. Well, they've lost running, running themselves because if that, if they got involved in those organisations for political means or for political ideals, which sometimes I'm dubious of, in you know, particularly in the year twenty twenty two, if they're using that for to get in the back of people in their communities, well, but then I also think we need to look at the government, HMRC, Department for Work and Pensions, all these sort of. Westminster, the the strategy of of um sort of recouping welfare money from people, you know, it, it's it's it seems to me to be, yeah, it's 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 making life easier for people who have nefarious agendas. And and those people who do go through those loan sharks, they don't do it through choice, you know. It's, no, 
they're, they're in the last drink saloon at that point. They they are <coughs> really scraping by, and they are they are on a they are on a take money from these boys, or, or we're not or we're not making it. You know, it, it's yeah. not it's not a healthy choice. And I've seen people last night. There's no. There's no credit unions in Loyalist area, so I tweeted a picture of one in the Shankle. You know, it's there, there are credit unions, but yeah. I mean, the credit union doesn't give out handouts. I mean, yeah. the, the way the credit union used to work when I was a member was you had to pay money in and then you borrow back on the strength of that. People don't have the money to put in in the first place. Yeah, and if you do go in and ask for a loan, I mean, there are basic checks that they carry out, and some of these people have fallen through the cracks of the system and they don't have those things to tick those boxes, you know. And yeah. the very thought of walking into a credit union, that, that's the other thing. The credit unions are usually manned by, man staffed by people from the area. Mm-hmm. So you've got to go in and face people like you know yeah. with your bag and bull out, you know. Yeah. So there's, there's a whole lot of factors. And, you know, I've I seen uh, young Joel Keyes was trying to make similar points and got absolutely tore mm-hmm. apart and he, he was trying to justify the power militaries and he wasn't and, and none no. of us will be justifying no. the power militaries at this stage none not. of us will be certainly justifying extortionate rate unknowns yeah. uh, if, if, if they are a paramilitary force off the people and for the people then they'll be handing those loans out at 0% interest if they yeah. really want to help their communities you know so if they're making money off the back of the poor in their own community well they need to go and look in the mirror for a while because they're not they're not loyalists they're not yeah. Um, yeah. and, um, that's yeah. that's that's my two pence worth in there as well. And on the back of that, talking about loyalists, along came episode four, <laughs> and we had on our our good friend Eddie Kinner, uh, yep. ex loyalist prisoner, to talk about his experiences. And I am sure Eddie will sit and listen to this podcast, and he up until this point he will have been nodding away about everything yep. that we're saying because we know Eddie well enough to know that he will have the same frame of mind as we will on these subjects. That yeah. if you're if you're a loyalist, you're you're certainly not picking at the bones of your own community. You'll be putting into it first. Um, but Eddie's Eddie's was one of the best listened to, or the most listened to mm-hmm. uh, pods that we put out there, which tells tells me and tells you, Gareth, that people have a, a hunger for that kind of story. You know, people yeah. people want to know what it was like to be a loyalist, to be a loyalist prisoner, to to have lived through that period. And experience those things. I mean, it, it it was another, and we didn't we didn't even scrape the surface of what Eddie has to talk about. To be honest, there, there's tons there, um, but yeah, that that was another fantastic conversation. Yeah, I think Eddie's you know sort of, um, he's a, he's a he's a straight talker, you know, and he'll he'll always sort of say, articulate what he thinks, and you know, for him. Bit like yourself, Sam. You know, he he identifies a loyalist and probably you know as a socialist, um, and people you know have probably find that to be a contradiction in terms. But you know, it's a working class identity you've talked about, and and Eddie's talked about, and it you know it goes back to the last topic. You know, anyone who claims to be for their community wouldn't be on the back of the community. But then, you know, I suppose <laughs> there's there's a lot of things we could get into there about you know Eddie's. But- past membership of the UVF and stuff like yeah. that. But, you know, that's not maybe for this pod, it's maybe for a future one. But, yeah, I think Eddie, to me, is one of those voices that's probably missing in loyalist politics and, and community um, activism at the moment and, and very much was one of the, sort of along with Billy Hutchinson and Davey Irvine and Billy Mitchell and 
Flint McCulloch and Billy Greer and so many other people you could mention, you know, the driving forces of progressive loyalism in the in the nineteen nineties and, and the, you know, they put in the hard work, they took the risks and probably some of them are wondering, you know, what what it was all for in, in terms of the yeah. conflict and the peace. I, I'm not sure. They they'd have to talk about I mean, that themselves. You're talking about Eddie there being being one of those guys that put Eddie, Eddie's one of those guys that didn't just have the t-shirt; he had the wardrobe full of t-shirts. You know, yeah. he'd, he'd been there, done it from from every perspective. He had he had done the crime and t- served the time, but he had worked the system within within the jail. He got educated. He had come out, yeah, and he had taken political activism to his heart and to move to move forward. So, Eddie Eddie speaks from a place that not many can speak from. People can stand up and pontificate. And give us the sound bites and come out with the old rhetoric and saber rattle. Um, Eddie Kenner's the kind of guy that doesn't have to. Yeah. When Eddie speaks, you should be listening. And if you're not listening, you need to question why you're not listening. Um, yeah. The, the guy, the guy has, has the guy has lived a couple of lifetimes compared to some of these guys. You know, it's invaluable. And, and on the back of that, I think season two, Eddie will be back on. Yes, almost said, certainly. Cause, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we we have so much to cover with Eddie, um, and it's uh, it's a thing we're going to revisit, not just with Eddie, but with other ex ex combatants or ex ex prisoners, whatever way you want to term them. Um, because we, we've got a story to tell there. Yeah, I mean, there has been a sort of uh, the feedbacks certainly suggested that there's a hunger uh, for more of those stories uh, from people who who were you know active during the troubles. Um, and and not not also from people from a Republican background have asked asked for those stories to be told, and they want to understand more about about loyalists in that period. And you know, I think we're definitely going to sprinkle that theme throughout Shrapnel in the future to sort of um, keep keep people you know people want to hear it. We'll we'll provide the the means to get those stories out there. Yeah, and then and then straight. After Eddie, we went in there like a, a, a you know a double header, uh, with Ian Turner from Balaclava Street. Now Ian's not an ex prisoner, but he is an authoritative yeah. voice on loyalism. He is a researcher and a historian and a curator, if you want to look at it, of loyalist yeah. history. Um, yeah. Hopefully, fingers crossed, his book will be out soon at some point. Um, I've seen bits and pieces that he's had together, and it's 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 going to be good for people who who have that that desire not that, that sort of that interest to go and learn about loyalism um yeah to see to see from that from that angle i mean they may they may not well, i won't say they may not they, they probably won't some of them support what went on in it um yeah but it'll give a better understanding it'll be a documentation of of that time period um absolutely i mean I, i've known ian now for god nearly 10 years um I remember he, he contacted me on Twitter and I was sort of anticipating it to be this like a middle-aged bloke from England or something and you know a bit of a weirdo and you know but yeah met up with Ian myself and himself are about the same age he is strikingly a lot younger looking than me which has always made me pretty jealous but um no I mean I've I've and yourself we've, we've sort of um followed Ian and his, his sort of interest in, in, in the UVF particularly over, over the years and his, his sort of in-depth research there. And I think, you know, well, I don't think it's impossible, or I don't think it's possible, sorry, to write a definitive history of an organisation 
like the UVF or, or any paramilitary organisation, it will definitely be as close to definitive as, as you could probably hope for in terms of the access he's been given. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Ian... Ian's doing a really good service to historians because some of the stuff he, he's put on his website has has been immeasurably excellent, you know, in terms of a resource and the the sort of uh, you know the sort of um, armed campaign of loyalism, and I think that's why he eventually gave up the the website to a certain extent and decided to do the book because basically he was plowing a lot of money, time, energy into travelling over to Belfast and, and beyond and, you know, he was giving away information for free so yeah. definitely decided it was better to go into a book and be there for posterity and maybe, you know, something he could be proud of in terms of an actual published book. Yeah, and and from Ian, we, we moved on, and I think there's we're about to go into a period here of, of a couple of episodes where people probably thought we wouldn't have went to. So we had the curator of the Duxford Historical Site of the Imperial War Museum, Craig Murray. I mean, that, that was a shot from the side. Um, that came from a bit of contact. And I, I thought that pod was very good in looking at it through the eyes of somebody from outside of the fishbowl, you know, Somebody who wasn't immersed in the in the in the mire that we were and could see it with a fresh perspective. Yeah, and Craig certainly brought that. I think Craig, Craig's excellent. Um, and again, I'd known Craig for a couple of years, a few years, and, and you know, I was well. It was nice nice to hear what he said on the pod about how I'd um, helped open the door for him here, and it would be the same with Ian. I think Ian had said that before, um, and that's. One of the things I, I think, and you know, we try to do that with shrapnel, which is we're not here to take ownership of anything. We're here to sort of develop knowledge and, and give people access to other people and hopefully develop the, the research. So <clears throat> Craig, Craig's brilliant because um, Craig's come over here um, and he's taught to people from all different political persuasions. He's taught to loyalists, Republicans, blah, blah, blah. And he... He looks at it with a completely fresh perspective. You know, we we all have our, no matter what our background is or whatever, we all have our sort of inbuilt prejudices here, and you know, sort of our, our unconscious with things. bias. Yeah, yeah, unconscious bias, and you know, I I don't know what way my unconscious bias works. Sometimes it works one way, sometimes it works the other, depending on how unjust I think a narrative is. I'll I'll uh, go one way or the other. Um, play devil's advocate probably is is a better way to phrase up but Craig that yeah he's he's um I think that exhibition on the troubles with the Imperial War Museum that he's helping curate um it'll be a really good insight for people in England to to sort of understand what the voices from from Northern Ireland and, and, and the, yeah the, I think it's conflict more important generally. to say that although <coughs> in the Imperial War Museum Craig is using local voices and local experiences to tell the story it's yeah. not going to be it's not going to be the English perspective on what happened in Northern Ireland. It's it's going to be the Northern Irish perspective taken to them and, and given to them, and so they they can experience it from from our experiences, which is which is the way it should be done. And then yeah. Craig's woman's him quickly followed up by uh, Professor Alwyn Purdue from Queen's University. I mean, Alwyn, you knew of Alwyn through your nights with Queen's. Um, I I was introduced to her by a a, a close contact who who said 
your podcast is doing well, Alwyn might be good to talk to. Yep. So a quick conversation with Alwyn one day and was like, yeah, you're, you're coming on because what you have to say is relevant to us. So her, her role as director of the Centre for Public History and her thirst for research and for for people to come forward and tell their stories and have it have it put down in, in the annals of time and so it's not lost is what we are all about what, what we have talked about for years um yes we may have narrowed the subject down and and wanted to talk to people who who were getting on in years and we knew that their stories were going to disappear and we, we'd always said we, we need to the chronologies we need to we need to put these down in some form that we can have them for future generations and all one is doing exactly that yeah I mean, yes. yeah, there's, there's two ways that works because Alwyn's, you know, her expertise would be in a period where people weren't encouraged to tell their stories, particularly working class people, and there is no record then of their lives, save for a few entries in workhouse registers and maybe a line or two here about their circumstances. And even then it's predetermined, it's sort of coloured by the authorities' view of them as, as, as people in poverty or whatever. But the thing that struck me talking to the Alwyn about the workhouse and that research she did on, on the poor laws is how relevant it is to today. And we've talked about that with, you know, on the back of Sarah's episode there and, and the cost of living crisis. And again, not to get into that whole thing, but there's a lot of like really chilling echoes between the late 19th century and where we find ourselves in now. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It's it's important to hear people's experiences, have them there for the future, and you'd like to think we'll learn from history, but history shows us that we rarely do. We'll yeah. be here in another hundred years talking about the same issues. And for 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 those of us who who do read a bit of history, and I don't know whether it's better to know what's coming, does it? You know, <laughs> no. <laughs> is, it, is, is it better to see the mountain heading towards the airplane, or better to close your eyes? It's one of those. Ones, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then for episode eight, um, we we had it written down: veteran journalist, author, and author university lecture. I don't think that does Leona justice, to be honest. Um, and Le- when we set trap the light, we said we we deal with loyalism, and then we deal with who was affected by loyalism, who worked in it, who worked for it, how it affected people's lives. And then Leona came on, and we barely touched on loyalism. I don't think we touched at all on it. But what we mm-hmm. did touch on was our other pet project that that we feel extremely strong about was mental health. Yeah. Um, her book with Chris Lindsay was coming out breaking trauma in the newsroom and that, that was it that's why Leona was on at that date that book was coming out and we needed to talk about that because she was talking about the newsroom and the attritional strain on your mental health and the, the conveyor belt of trauma that was coming through Yeah. now I, I could, I'll look at her, that story that Leona told and I'll move it outside it and how we lived in the Shankle or how you lived in the Falls or how you lived in those areas that were affected on a day to day basis by the troubles and yeah. although they were two different stories, the similarities were really c- comparative. Um, so Leona's story, to me, rung very, very true and very close to home about how that... And it's not every day that something happens, but it's every day that something small happens and it just wears, it wears and wears away at you. And and, you, and next yard breaking point, as Leona said. Yeah. Uh, and, she, yeah. and she was extremely brave to talk about... Uh, the night, um, Lara McKee. Yeah, that's Lara McKee. Yeah, it's 
and like you know, I've stopped talking because I, you start thinking about that. And then again, I remember where I was when I when the news came through, uh, what I was doing. Yeah, and I remember that that moment of of just I actually stopped. I was walking across the kitchen with a pint of milk in my hand to put into the into the tea, and I stopped. Yeah, and I, and I was like, here we go again. Is this what we're back to? Yeah, we're back to people being killed on our streets for what? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that and again, I didn't know Lara, um, but it was a trigger because we had been through that situation a lot. We knew what we knew what that phone call sounded like that came through, or that rap at the door sounded yeah. like. We knew what those news stories were like, where you're hanging on every single detail of the building to try and ascertain did you know somebody in that area? Where was my brother tonight? Was he was he in the town tonight when that went off? I mean, that's yeah. the kind of conversations you have for yourself. So, Leona came on and spoke to us, and I don't know, it blew me away. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I think it showed, uh, hopefully demonstrated the people that, you know, Shrapnel's not just a narrow sort of focus on, on one thing, that we're able to adapt to what's contemporary and current. And, and obviously that book was very contemporary and current and we're always happy to facilitate um, conversations with authors and people who've got work to promote that we find interesting. Um, yeah, it ticked all the boxes because um, Leona's a really nice person. Um and Chris is a friend of mine, um. So was more than happy to 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 you know help promote the book. And I have to say, I find it you know it was probably of all the conversations, apart from the one with Paul, it was probably the one that sort of had me on edge the most in terms of you know sort of how to how to handle it because I knew we would be talking about Lyra's murder, and um, I I didn't want to be sort of hobby horsing that because. You know, I, I, I knew Lyra. She would have corresponded with me, with me via email, and I had actually been in touch with her that day or the day before, and I've got the email still. You know, about a project I was working on, and you know, it, it is for me. It was kind of weird to be sitting there in the year twenty nineteen, and uh, to be corresponding with someone, and then for the next morning to wake up and. Well, actually, it was during the night. I I saw the tweets coming through. Um, I just realised someone had been murdered that you've been talking to, and I, I'm I'm privileged in many respects, and I was privileged never to have to experience that during the troubles. So to have it happen in the year 2019 was it was really a massive shock. Um, but again, not not nothing compared to friends and family of Lyra, who who you know, God knows what 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 way they're feeling now because, oh. What a waste of life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I suppose the other... It's sort of a, a, a grand scale down in what we are talking about 30 seconds ago, but they also they have to interview the journalist. <laughs> that that yeah. gave us that gave us a different dimension <coughs> as well. How, how, how do you interrogate the interrogator? Um, yeah. The person who, who's trained to tease the story out of you. Um, yeah. But no, Le- Leona came in... Um, very open, very ready to talk, and it it was effortless on our behalf. It really was. Yeah, yeah. And episode nine after Leona was even more effortless because um, Paul Donzo got a big gob. <laughs> Donnelly came on, and he, he never he likes, he, he likes the sound of his own voice. That's why. <laughs> yeah. I think I think we had to keep waving at him on the screen to say, "Look, can we ask you another question?" Well, 
but he was brilliant. You know, yeah, absolutely. He hogged the airwaves. My God, he could hog them again because he just is a fount of knowledge that we just didn't have. You know, um, if it's not, if it's not worth knowing, he doesn't know it. And if it is worth knowing, he knows it in, in spadefuls. You know, the, the guy yeah. does this for a living. Um, through a very rocky start, as he as he talked about on the on the pod about how it got up and going with these tours to where yeah. they are now, it it was it was touch and go for a while for them. But I am glad they stuck around because. I haven't done the tour, and I will do the tour, um, because everybody I've spoke to since then has been like, "Oh yeah, I've been on the tour; it's fantastic." And you're like, yeah. well, "Why have I not done it?" You know, it's. <laughs> uh, but then, as, as I said to him on the on the pod, there, there's a certain sort of view from where I am that some of these tours are not very well balanced, and he confirmed that they weren't. There was other ones that who don't do the balanced tours, but Paul's is, is extremely balanced. Um, yeah. and, and what he, he he talked about, I mean, it 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 was insightful for people, um, and it it was also good to talk to him about how how doing this every day, how reliving those moments every day, um, affected him as well. You know, affected people who were on the tour. But it, how does he cope? How does he cope telling those dark stories on a daily basis? You know, yeah. it it can't be easy either. It can't, it really can't. Um. I know you do a bit. You do research with your work, and you see things that you probably see things that normal people shouldn't see. And and the yeah, end of, but it, it's how you deal with that. And it was good to speak to Donzo. Well, let yeah. me say it was good to to very rarely speak to Donzo because he'd done most of the speaking. Well, that's. I mean, that's that's what I think. That's the sign of a successful episode where we don't really have to talk that much because yeah. again, we're we're the facilitators um, of of storytelling and. You know, okay, we'll probe people now and again and coax things out of them, but ultimately you want people to tell their story and, and talk about their experiences. And as you say, Donzo did that in spades and, and look forward to him doing it again in the future. Yeah, and and that's another wee teaser we'll, we'll put out there for the next series as well. We're going to have Donzo on again because we touched briefly in our on our sort of chat before about his, um, his involvement with the Ulster People's College. And I think... I think I'll give people heads up now. If they want to go and do a bit of reading on what the Ulster People's College was, go yeah. for it. And then we'll speak to Paul and Paul will give you nuts and bolts of what that, that institution was and how important it was in those, in those times, what it brought to the community. Because I, I can tell you now that I I partook in a few of, the, of their courses and it's invaluable. Um, yeah. And how, how, how they reached out into communities that were missed by the system and brought a form of education but it wasn't just education because it, it was it was a key to open the doors. And that's yeah. what that place brought to, to a lot of people. So, again, that's another one we'll speak about. We'll, we'll put out there now. Uh, series 2, Donzo will be on. I, I, I'm just going to have a cup of coffee that night and just let him talk for an hour. <laughs> it'll, it'll be easier. Um, and then after Donzo, we had had Danielle Roberts on, uh, a researcher, all women from loyalist backgrounds. And mm-hmm. again... It's a niche off a niche. Yeah. And her area of expertise is really is really the smallest niche of the niche, um, if you want to look yeah. at it that way. And, and it shouldn't be. Yeah. Oh, goodness me, no. Yeah. Um, and she brought a lot of things to light. But it, it was one of those pods where you, it was never going to blow you away with, the, like I said, the Paul Wilson stuff, or it was never going to be... It was never going to be that shocking one, but it was the one people needed to hear as well. You know, it, it yeah. was it was that it was that information that we needed to put out there. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the, one of the gaps in sort of people's understanding of, of the conflict in general and, and loyalism in particular is the role of women. I think Republicans have been better at promoting their, their female role models and, and sort of putting them to the forefront of politics, but loyalism hasn't been just as good at that. I can't speak with any authority on, on why that is. Um, it could be to do with the... Well, there's a sort of contradiction in terms here because people say it's patriarchal sort of... Um, you know, sort of um, culture, but you know that it's very matriarchal. Um, so, you know, it's trying to square that circle. Um, I just would like to see more stories of loyalist women told by loyalist women um, mm-hmm. before it's too late. Again, um, I don't know how you encourage people to raise their head above the parapet because... It it just seems that it seems to be the the real sort of you know holy grail of of um, the loyalist story, um, but I I haven't been successful in 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 managing to track too many people down while in the talk. Danielle has in the contemporary sense, and I know Ian Turner has as well. So hopefully, people will talk before it's too late. Yeah, and on the other side is we we know that when. When there are those brave few that do come forward and do raise their head above the parapet, the abuse they take is a different level yeah, from the abuse absolutely. that their male counterparts take. You know, um, there there are people on Twitter who identify as being as loyalists and they're male, and they get they get dogs abuse. Okay, yeah. But then a female comes along, and that dogs abuse is is magnified, um, and it becomes extremely personal. It's not yeah. just their policies or their ideals or anything else that they get into. It's how they look, what they're wearing, the whatever, it just becomes so vitriolic that, yeah, it, it's a different level. And I think as a society, we need to look at why that is the case. And although we know there's no, we know that there's a lack of promotion of, of female loyalist voices, that vitriol is not coming from loyalism towards those those people either. It's coming from the other side of the divide. So this is not a one-sided, we have an issue here. It, we need to look at why, why we don't have loyalist women coming forward, and how do we nurture them when they do, and protect yeah. them. It, it is, yeah. and it's, that's that's not me saying I am a man and I can protect a woman, but it's it's a societal thing. How do we protect those voices? Yeah, and we want to hear them. You know, that's the thing. Okay. And 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 then we followed Absolutely. that episode straight up with um, Lauren Kerr from. Yeah. East Belfast uh, she was the first openly gay candidate for East Belfast for the Ulster Unionists um, mm-hmm. I, I, that was the one I flew solo um, yeah you, you, were a bit on, you were a bit on well that night I think what was it Forrest was it, lost was, uh, cl- cl- what was it Alan Partridge said it was clinically fed up um, yeah. he would never say he was clinically depressed <laughs> he just clinically fed up that night and um, yeah. yeah I apologised to Lauren and she thought it was because her team Arsenal had given Forrest a hiding but no it was um it was other things, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it, that was another interesting conversation because that that turned a few people's uh, ideas of what unionism was on its head. I mean, they think that it's it's very regressive and not progressive, and yet Lauren was able to st- sit here and talk to me about um, her sexual orientation, her her ideals, her her desires for the future, and and we talked about football as well. Um, yeah, women's football. Yeah, yeah, women's football. Yeah. Uh, and as I said there before, the thing I, I really 
don't like calling it women's football or men's football because we don't call yeah. it men's football. We call it yeah. football or women's football. Right, so we, I think we need either, either it needs to be men's and women's or it needs yeah. to be just football. Um, yeah. And I was talking before, not to plug somebody else's podcast, I listened to the the, the big Scottish football podcast um, and they were talking about the Rangers game and how well they had played and, and, and what a goal that was scored. They were referring to the women's Rangers team and the super goal that was scored in that match. Yeah. But they didn't want to say it was Rangers women. They, they, right. It was yeah. just a Rangers football game. And I think that's how, as a society, we need to progress with that. Or yeah. we call it Arsenal men and Arsenal ladies and yeah. so forth. Uh, because they say it's, they say it's football and, and women's football. Is, it's like, yeah, you have you have the real thing and then you have this this other version the, if you want to go and watch. The yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, so, yeah. But yeah, I mean, talking to Lauren was fantastic. And I see she's... Uh, put forward again to stand. Yep. Um, that might be another interesting conversation in the around sort of the end of April before people go to the polls. Absolutely. So yeah, Lauren's worth... always yeah, it'd be good yeah. good to chat to her and she's always welcome. Um uh to yeah, I'll, okay. She's not well she I, I accidentally called her a Glentoran fan. She's a Linfield supporter, which is even worse. Um so. Oh <laughs> Well, well, I, I would say in the, in the interest of being balanced, fair and open, um, if we're going to have Lauren back on, then we should at least have a rep from another couple of parties on. So Absolutely. if you're listening out there and you're connected to one of the other parties, give us a shout. We'll yeah, maybe get election special. Or... Yeah, we've said it before, Sam, but I think it's worth saying again. But we're, I know we were due to have somebody from a Republican background on who, you know, obviously we're going to have in series two. But we are keen to, to hear people from a Republican background, um, people in Republican politics, um, whatever, um, because I think that's the only way people out there are going to, you want to hear things in the round. You don't want to hear just, an, you know, an echo chamber, as it were, but yeah. in the unhealthy sense of it being an echo chamber, not not our our, uh, our good friends Tony and Martin, um, which you know is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek title, but yeah, the echo, chamber, <laughs> the echo chamber that we have up here, where people are in their silos and don't go out and listen to other people's um, experiences, we we want to hear about all people. And and again, uh, another thing I would say, and we haven't been good on this. It's it's a it's a sort of a blind spot. We, we haven't really been good with um, ethnic minorities. Um, yeah. So we want to hear. You know, we we would like to hear from people. From ethnic minority backgrounds, I did allude to it in the in the pod with Alwyn about capturing those stories. Um, but yeah, that we're we're happy to would be pleased, more than pleased to um, facilitate those conversations as well. Yeah, and, and at one point, somebody that pointed out to us that we we weren't um, sort of fulfilling a good array of of guests, and it had to be pointed back out that we are asking. Yeah. Not everybody yeah, wants yeah, to come yeah. on, and that that's fair enough. That we don't force anybody. We can't cajole anybody. People have to be willing to come on and, and tell their story. So we will ask, and we put it out there, and we're publicly putting it back out there again. We, if you have something to say, give us a shout. I mean, it, it yeah. we we we've shown that we will cover a broad spectrum here of of subjects. So give us a shout. Come forward and share your story. Um, yeah. and and one of those perspectives that I didn't think I would be talking to, we had um. His, his Twitter handle is E.S. Hagen from Red Brick Slums on an XRUC officer I mean as a, as a young lad growing up in the Shankle 
my interaction with the RUC wasn't always um, the, the most pleasant of experience. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like how you do, sir. How you doing, young man? It, it was a bit more lively than that sometimes. Um, yeah. So to have to have Mister Hagen, we'll call uh, on. Yeah, yeah. And again, it was a subject that we got into that got dark in places, but that's because the nature of the troubles, the nature of this place, well, darkness was never too far away from a lot of us. Um, but it was good to see it from the other side of the Land Rover. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, we, we've talked to people here on the other side of the Land Rover, and these guys were the inside looking out. Uh, and it was quite interesting too that one of the first things we covered was his, his first death threat, and it, it came from mm-hmm. the Loyalist Fire Militaries. Um, people... As I said, people at that time would probably think that uh, you're in the RUC and the Loyalists must be your best buddies. <laughs> that wasn't the case. <laughs> it was nowhere no, near the case at that point. Yeah, so no. again, a, a very a very revealing uh, pod. I think, yeah, I, I, yeah. I've known Ed for quite a while um, on Twitter. Um, you know, he, he's sort of given me a wee bit of direction on some procedural matters when it's come to you know some of the creative writing that i've done um he's he's helped me with some insights into what life was like in the ruc um but myself and himself bonded over some of the more esoteric matters you know sort of music and is, is that how we're terming them is it okay i don't <laughs> with weird and wonderful to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah so we, we, we both have like you know well left field interests in music and you know it always like for me, here it was. Here's a guy. My 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 stereotype of a guy in the REC in the eighties was a, you know, sort of like a. It could be played by Charlie Lawson. Let's just say it that way, and played well yeah. by Charlie Lawson with a mustache. But um, you know, here's a guy who was into the Church of Satan. He was into black metal. Um, you know, goth music. All sort. I mean, not all in the Lord of the Rings as well. Sort of. Norse mythology, all a, a broad range of things that you would never associate stereotypically with the REC. But there you go. It just shows that if you tease the door open slightly, you never know what you'll find inside. And yeah. I think that's a lesson for all of us because particularly in Northern Ireland, you can look at somebody, you can see a name, a surname or an occupation and think, well, I know all about that person already. But yeah. you don't. Until you get yeah. to know them, and then that's when you you find out that they're actually a human being with a lot of different interests and emotions, and that's how you need to treat people on that basis. And I think the last guest that we had on, I'm going to issue an apology both to yeah. a the listeners for our ineptitude of um, <laughs> sound quality, uh, and to Ed Spence himself that we didn't do him full justice with the quality of the sound, and we will oh. rectify that. Because yeah. we, we did say we would re, at, on the pod that we would revisit because we got the a certain time period and that of 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 the troubles and, and of of Ed's life and that story that we said we'd come back and do a second part so we will and I hand on heart promise that the sound quality would be a million times better um, and we will do you justice Ed on this one um, now on the back of that last two pods I would say that we got some feedback that we didn't cover certain subjects we can't cover everything. And we're yeah. not going to say we're going to because we've got 45 minutes to an hour for a pod. Um, so yes, there may be things that we don't cover and it's not because we just don't want to cover it. A, we don't feel yeah. it's relevant to the subject matter that we're dealing with at that point or B, we just don't have time. Even my old mama said, 
you could have been she listened to the old one once you could have covered so much more the old one's very yeah. interesting i said yeah I, I could do i could do a documentary two hour long documentary with Oban, but we don't have that um so that's not an apology because that's just the facts We're, I'm no not it's gonna not, the, uh, not yeah. going to apologize because i mean yeah. if you're talking about the rec inclusion i'm not going to use ed ed hagan as the uh sort of hook to hang all that on that's he yeah. isn't you know he was just one constable uh and yeah. and he was he was openly critical about the sectarian tendencies of some people in the RUC in the podcast yeah. he talked about the sort of sort of hillbillies that you would have had in in the, the force who who were sectarian as for Ed Spence <clears throat> you know we we actually we talked to Eddie Kenner earlier in the series who who was actively involved in the UVF was convicted of, of murder and serve time in long cash. Now, if there was any criticism, it should have been directed towards that episode. Ed was a person of... He was a not a victim of circumstance, but he was a person of circumstance. He, he happened to be the nephew of Gusty Spence. He happened to be the, the son of Billy Spence. It was it was inevitable to, to a certain degree that he was going to get involved in, in, in that welfare side of, of the Loyalist Prisoners movement because... It affected his family. That's that's the basic thing. That's yeah. where it started from. It affected his uncle. Um, there was a feeling in the family that, that the trial wasn't fair. We aren't there to interrogate people. We aren't there to have gotcha moments. We're there to help bring out stories that we think are interesting. And Ed, I think, if we were to start challenging Ed about the UVF and, and what, the, what the atrocities that they were involved in, It'd be some low hanging fruit we'd be picking on because Ed w- wasn't anywhere near that sort of thing. He was very much a political person and a welfare person. Yeah, I mean we 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 are facilitators, as you said. We're not investigative journalists. We're not going to go digging through our guests' background to get all the CD secrets to hit them with it because yeah. a the, the guest list would be very small, uh, and this podcast wouldn't last. And b we don't want that. We want people like Ed to come forward. We want people like Paul Wilson to come forward. We want people to come forward and tell of their experiences. Uh, you may not agree with it. It may make you feel uncomfortable. But it, it makes us feel uncomfortable sometimes. I mean, as I said, Paul Wilson's one deeply moved me. It was um, it, It's that kind of conversation <coughs> that <clears throat> knocks you for a bit and then you grow from it. Um, and that's what we want to do. So some of our subject matter may be challenging for people for for different reasons. We we don't intend to offend. We don't intend to upset. And if we can, we will issue a, a trigger warning before each pod. But yeah, on the other hand, we are not going to get some people on here and just hammer them for the for the sins yep. of many. That's that's not the way it works. Well, that's it. At the end of the day, you know, the research I've done for the last number of years. You know, makes me feel uncomfortable, but hopefully in the future it'll educate people, and that's the only way I can describe it. I'm not, I, you know, you facilitate these stories. You're not advocating the motivations behind people, but certainly with Ed, for example, Ed, Ed Spence, I can understand. He was, uh, you know, he was motivated by okay, the political thing, the orange. Um, side of things, but he was also motivated by family, about looking after his his family and supporting his family, his uncle and and his um, you know his dad's brother. So I I don't know. I mean, 
I'm I, I don't see shrapnel as an interrogation. I see it as a sort of facilitation and um we can leave the interrogation to other people. It doesn't mean we won't be critical when we need to be, but we're not gonna be interrogating people and, and sort of yeah. um sort of getting them to flagellate themselves for the sins of their community. Yeah, and we we say at the beginning shrapnel was the fragments of our past, present and future, but I think what we also thought about and what we don't talk about is the shrapnel hurts and leaves scars. And we we yeah. know that. And we, we try and deal yeah. with it, it, yeah. And we try and deal with it as as sensitively and as gently as possible. You I mean it's it's one of those things. It's, it's I don't say we dance around certain subjects. We don't, but we try and handle it in such a way that we're not we're not going to open up old wounds for people. Um, yeah, because that's that's not what we're here for. We're not here to destroy people. We're not here to knock them down, and we're certainly not here to punish anybody. Uh, we we want people to come forward and tell the stories. And again, as you said. It, people may say you're doing this for loyalists. We're not. We're doing it for everybody. Come forward with your story. No. And, I, and I'm, I'm, and I'm certainly not going to sit here with a bit of paper and tick off people's religion because uh, somebody asked me well, before. I, yeah. It's a balance that I'm like I don't know because I don't know half their religions because I don't ask. I don't <laughs> need to know. You know, well, if you were not that people, way. Yeah, if you're ticking off people's religions and you know all that sort of stuff, you'd be uh, uh, host down. So <laughs> you'd be doing this <laughs> by yourself. <laughs> Yeah, but it's also like they don't, they're not taking off boxes with just me and you being here, you know, handsome, <laughs> not handsome. You know, it's whatever yeah. way you want to look at it. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we're here and we will be here for a while. We're going to take a, a month or two off here. We are going to come yeah. back. We do we do have a guest list growing. We do have our ideas. As I said, we have given a few teasers out who we're going to have. Um, and there will be a couple of ones in there that people probably won't expect again. Yeah. Um, yeah. But each of them, I hope each of them give you something that some of them will give you, well, that was great. And other ones will give you, yeah, that was okay. That's a nugget. I got a nugget from that. That'll do me. We're happy enough for that. So please keep listening. Please keep supporting because, yeah, it's, it's worthless unless you do. Uh, it's The reason we do this is to bring stories, but we need people to hear the yeah. stories. Yeah, and I, you know, I'd just like to say thanks to uh, Tony for helping us um, get this off the ground and I suppose the only other thing I would like to say is, you know, thanks to all the listeners and people who've left feedback. And I would encourage people to go on Spotify and iTunes to um, give us five stars. And it doesn't really matter what you, what you write. I don't think as, as long as you give us five stars, the algorithm, you know, um, will will put us up the charts a wee bit and give us a bit more um, exposure. And I'd like to wish people a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year as well. So Yeah, I suppose we're going to have that time of year. Um, so... Whatever you're going to do, be kind to each other. Um, take the Christmas period to be whatever it is for you. Spend it with people you want to spend it with and, and take that time to, to reflect. So whatever your 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 poison of choices for this time of year to to sort of say Merry Christmas or the, or the birth of Jesus, whatever way you want to look at this, take it for what it is and take that time just to reflect on yourself. Be grateful for what you have. Find, find something to be grateful for and just be kinder. Please, yeah. And as I say, we, we will come back. We will we will do it a bit a bit better, especially for Ed. Um, we do it yeah. a lot better for Ed. We we own that. Um, and Tony and Martin, thanks for the chance. Um, thanks to the Tortoise Shack and the Echo Chamber. Uh, thanks for everybody who has spoken to us along the way, including the late Vicky Conway, uh, who's yeah, sure. who gave us support in the beginning. Um, Rory, um, the, the other pods in our in our stable as such. And for those people who do come on and comment on Twitter 
and Facebook. We read every single one of them. Um, yeah. We take the feedback and we need it to push forward. And then I said, if you have any ideas, drop us a DM. It's as simple Absolutely. as that. So from Strapple Podcast, thank you very much for 2022. We'll be back in 2023. So Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs>